Oh, let's give that clap offering unto the Lord tonight. All over this building, let's worship Him. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house tonight. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. Holy One. Holy One of Israel. Amen, amen, amen. It's so wonderful to be with you here in Jayez, Mississippi. This is my first time. I've heard so many wonderful reports of the church here, the fellowship that is here, and, and like the Queen of Sheba said, the half has not been told. And I'm, I'm privileged to join in with you tonight. I feel right at home. I can feel people reaching out. I can feel people touching God. I can tell this is a Jesus name church. I can feel the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. And it is an honor to, to be with you. It's so good to be with Brother Robinson and his, his precious family. And I, I probably better not get started calling names because I'm going to leave somebody out and I'm going to forget somebody and I'm going to mess somebody's name up. But all of these good ministering brethren, it's good to be with Brother Godair and Brother Tuttle this week. Amen. I was with Brother Godair a week or two ago in Manhattan, New York, and we had a time. And we've had Brother Tuttle down in Florida, and he rearranged the architecture of our building when he got done preaching. Uh, so we are in for a treat. And I'm just glad to be here with God's people in this house. Amen. There's nothing like getting together and praising God and worshiping God and coming together. One mind, one accord. Amen. Amen. Brother Rally, it's good to see you and all the good ministering brethren. If I'm not that great at preliminary, so if it's all right with you, I'll go ahead and jump into the word of God. Um, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28. And while you're turning there, I, uh, <clears throat> I'll just say that this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Because my God is, is so great. His wisdom and His foresight is so far-reaching. This, this chapter is exemplary of just that. And I'm going to begin reading Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 9. The prophet said, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, 
line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. I, I have looked at this scripture. I have prayed about this scripture. And I am convinced that we are seeing this scripture being fulfilled like we never have before. In the book of Galatians chapter 3, in verse 24, it tells us, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Tonight, by the help of the Lord, I'm going to preach the only way I know how to preach. I'm going to preach the word of God in a simple fashion. I want to preach to you a message I've entitled, The Schoolmaster. The Schoolmaster. Look at the person next to you tell them God's got something to teach us tonight. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. The, the spiritual climate that we are living in today is one that in a lot of places it's it's very toxic in America. Um, I think that it is important today that every person who claims to be apostolic needs to hang on to the word of God like they never have before. And I mean that from the elder down to the youngest among us. In particular, I think young men and young ladies need to develop a love for the word of God. I believe God's church should be built upon the word of God. I, I, I don't think we need pop psychology. I don't think we need fluffy messages that skim the surface of the word of God. But I think we need men and women who will dig down into what the word of God tells us. Because God's word is true. And one place in the scripture called it the manifold wisdom of God. And it literally means folded many times. It just keeps unraveling and unraveling. And what will happen is if you'll start to investigate, you'll think you've just about got it figured out. And then a whole new panorama opens up. And you'll find out you haven't even got started yet because it's folded many times. And it unfolds and it unfolds. And I, I, there's been times I've been sitting in my chair at home. Is that just the other day I was on an airplane and it happened to me. 
I was thinking about the Word of God, and as I was thinking about the Word of God, they were, they were boarding the passengers, and they were putting luggage into bins, and they were shuffling around the cabin trying to prepare for takeoff. And I was over there thinking about some scriptures I had read that morning, and God just started unfolding some of His good promises. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but it's one of those times where your eyes are closed and you just say, oh, that's why he said that. Oh, that's what he meant when he said this. And right there, I was starting to fight back tears and I was starting to speak in tongues. And an older black woman sat down next to me and I, I was just having a little glory spell right there on the, on the airplane and I hadn't realized she'd sat down, and after about two or three minutes, I just kind of opened my eyes, and I looked at her, and she was looking right at me. And I said, it's just the Holy Ghost. And she said, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> hey, our world needs a church that has the Holy Ghost. They need people that have the power of the Word of God. They need an apostolic, Jesus name, Holy Ghost-filled encounter with the supernatural and I think God's church needs to be prepared yes I do I think God's church needs to be ready oh hallelujah I'm particularly concerned because young men are being seduced by postmodernism. Young ladies are being pulled into worldliness, fashion, and seduction. And those are what the Bible calls the beggarly elements. They're nothing compared to the good things of God that he has prepared for his church. And I'll just be honest with you tonight. I am, I actually am, I'm more uncomfortable behind a pulpit than I am at other administrations of ministry. I, I feel better, and I have never learned more than when I sat down in a person's home one-on-one -on -one or one-on-three, and we begin to go through the Word of God, and the Holy Ghost starts to course through that environment. I'm glad I learned how to teach the word of God like that before I learned to preach it like this. Because I believe there's a purpose to this thing. I believe there's a dynamism. I believe there's an explosiveness to the word of God. We need to be word-based people. Amen. We don't need to be tossed around by every wind of doctrine. We don't need to be unstable. We don't need to be built on emotion. Alone, We don't need to be built on uh, fellowship alone. Emotion is good. Fellowship is good. But you got to be built on the word of God. Because heaven and earth might pass away. But not his word. His word will never pass away. And I want to fall in love with his word. I actually would sit... And here, this, this is something. I, let me say this before I launch into what I want to talk about. I, I, I think that every young person, every young adult, every 
aspiring preacher needs to sink their hands into some kind of a missionary effort. Starting a church, going overseas, helping someone start a church, preaching in small settings, going into... There, there's, a, there's a delightful lack of sophistication when you sit down in a home environment and you simply break the bread of life. I believe that this word is more than just oratory. I believe it's more than just talent. I believe it's more than Pentecostal sayings and colloquialisms. I believe this thing gets down into the marrow of a man or a woman and it can save people to the utter most. I believe the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I believe it pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow. It's a designer. And so I think people need to, I think they need to get that kind of a grounding. I think they need to get that kind of an experience. They need to fight and contend for someone's soul. They need to contend with false doctrine. It is one thing to to. To know what you believe because your father believed it. It's another thing to know what you believe because your heavenly father has revealed it unto you. It's one thing to know it up here. It's another thing to get it down in here. Amen. And you don't really know what it is. I'm talking about something that gets in your bones. Something that gets into the fabric of your spirit. And God's word is like that. I I, I didn't even... I I knew the oneness of God. And I, I, I understood the oneness of God in a... In a mental kind of a way. But it wasn't until I tangled with someone who didn't believe it and who challenged what I believed that God began to reveal who he was to me. Amen. And it went from head knowledge into my spirit, into the fabric of my soul. Amen. And I'm here standing before you tonight to tell you that there is one God. Amen. There is one God. And I know that. I've spoken to him. He's revealed things to me. I know it on a level that goes deeper than consciousness. It's in my worship. It's in my praise. It's in my fabric. It's in my family. It's in my children. It's in my church. It'll get down on the inside of you on a fundamental level. Here, oh, Israel, Just because dad said so. Amen. I actually, I've I've come to learn something. And that is that God hides himself on purpose. God in his wisdom. Developed his word and his doctrine to be hidden from the proud. He resists the proud. He hides it from the self-centered. He hides it from the lukewarm. 
He hides it from the casual observer. He hides it from the weekend warrior. God does not want those entering into the kingdom of God. I always wondered why Jesus spoke in parables and his disciples even asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? And the answer that he came back with was because having eyes, they see not. And having ears, they hear not. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. There is a blindness. There's a, there's a, a deafness. Um, what I mean by that is if, if you come to God and, and you allow yourself to stop with a cursory examination of the scriptures, then I'm not worthy of heaven. If I allow Matthew 28, 19 to stop me, if I hit Matthew 28, 19 and I say that's good enough for me, then heaven's not for me. God demands that I learn this thing line upon line and precept upon precept. Amen. God, I, I, I've heard people in my city, they've told me, they've said, They've said, Brother Urshan, why is it that we have to hunt all over the scriptures? And why do we have to go here? And why do we have to go there? And, and why, why can't God just say it? And I think that in a, in, a, in a country that values extra value meals and pill forms and convenient packaging, I think people want scripture just like that. And they want to pop God with a glass of water and let him take away their pain. But he didn't do that. He said, I'm going to be here a little and I'm going to be there a little. So you're, if, if Matthew 28, 19 satisfies you and that's good enough for you, heaven's not for you. But you're going to have to go to Luke 24, 47. And you're going to have to go to Mark 16, 16 to 18. And you're going to have to go to Acts 2, 38. Yes, you are. You're going to have to take a stop by Acts 4, 12 and find out there's none of the name under heaven. Given among men whereby we must be saved. You're going to have to go to the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. To, to the Italians in Acts chapter 10. You're going to have to go to Acts 19. To the disciples who believed and then received the Holy Ghost. You're going to have to go and find it here a little and there a little. Because God is not found by the easily contented. He's only found by the hungry and the thirsty. here tonight. I, I, I'm concerned that young men are throwing away precious truths 
before they fully investigated them. There's only one gospel that works. There's only one message that works. This church has been built upon an apostolic foundation. And there's a reason why the Holy Ghost shows up here on a Thursday night. That's because it's been fitly framed together. It's been put together by a wise master builder. That it may grow up in habitation unto the Lord. There's some lively stones in this house built upon apostolic doctrine. And I don't plan on throwing it away. I don't plan on letting it grow dim. I don't plan on... I'm in love with his word. I'm in love with his purpose. I've sat at the feet and I've learned some things. There's, there's a, what I'll call, I guess, an ignorant arrogance that can happen to a person. It's the, it's the arrogance that comes with not knowing. Um, the older I get, the more I know what I don't know. And I enter into things cautiously. I know the price. I know what's at stake. And the, I actually look back over the last 15 years of my life and I wipe the sweat off of my brow. Because if I knew then what I know now. When I started our church, I, I didn't know what health insurance was. I just started a church. I didn't know that you couldn't do that. I, I didn't know that you couldn't go into an area and start a church like that. I just went in 22 years of age and swung with both hands until somebody got the Holy Ghost. And, and God knows how to add to his church daily. Amen. He knows how to do it. And, and there, there's a place for faith and there's a place for vitality. And God responds to people who will seek him on those terms. Amen. But I know tonight that there is an approach that God demands of us. And many people will say something to the effect of, well, well, you know, it's really not necessary to be baptized in Jesus' name. Because, I mean, it's basically the same thing. Because Jesus is the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And, and you know, we're quibbling over semantics and we're, we're, we're majoring on minors and we're making mountains out of molehills. And, and there's, a, there's a spirit in this age that wants to say something like that. And there are young men falling prey to that. And there are churches falling prey to that. Um, and I, I can remember as a child when I, I didn't know the fullness of of things when I was very young I can remember I can remember learning simple things and they were simple things that you had to get and you had to get them right and you couldn't progress to the more complex until you learned the simple thing and when you got that simple thing then you learned a second simple thing and you laid it on top of each other until it became more and more complex, or, if you will, line upon line. And I can remember the day when they told me that one plus one equal two. It was, it was.
was cataclysmic. They showed me an apple. And they said, if you take another apple, you will then have two apples. It was revolutionary. And I learned how to add from my schoolmaster. And I got it. I got it. And I did those problems, and I did them, and I did them. I did them ad nauseum, and I pages after pages. I could add with the best of them. And then they added another concept. They said, if you'll take one apple, and you will then remove that apple, you will have zero apples. And they called it subtraction. That one set me back for a second. Because I just got this addition thing down. And now they were throwing me a little curveball. But after a little while, I figured it out. And I learned how to add and I learned how to subtract. And then they went off into some place I didn't know what in the world they were talking about. They took that plus sign and they turned it sideways. And they called that multiplication. And when they did that, it messed me up because they then told me that one times one equals one. And I sat there looking at that, trying to figure out what these people were up to. As the schoolmaster began to introduce concepts to me, when they brought division into the thing, I almost gave up. Because one divided by one is supposed to equal one, two, somehow, some way. And I learned it. And after I learned all that and I just got this math thing down right, I showed up one day and they put letters. And I sat there in the arrogance of my ignorance. And I dismissed that by saying everybody knows that the alphabet's the alphabet. And numbers are numbers. You folks are majoring on minors. You don't know what you're talking about. In the smugness of my ignorance, I had all the answers. I'm going to tell you, before you dismiss Jesus' name baptism, you might want to start to look at some of the things upon which it's built. Before you say it doesn't matter, before you say that doesn't mean anything, before you say that doesn't apply to us, before you say that the name of Jesus doesn't matter, you need to go back and read the book because the schoolmaster says there is no other name under heaven. Every man was baptized in Jesus' name. Every woman was baptized in Jesus' name. And the fact is that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And before I allow my arrogance to carry me away, I might want to go back to the basics and find out there's a little more to this than meets the eye. And the schoolmaster has a purpose. And the schoolmaster will give it to me. Show me. Hey, church doesn't work without the word of God. Hallelujah.
This is why a generation is walking away from the architecture. They're walking away from the stained glass windows. They're walking away from the artificiality of it all. They're walking away from the empty pews of religion. They're becoming museums of yesterday, but not Pentecost. Pentecost isn't like that. Pentecost is still alive. The Holy Ghost is still relevant. Our churches are growing. We're moving into foreign fields. We're going in the name of Jesus. We're going in the power of the Word of God. This thing is not dead. This thing is alive. This thing is expanding and growing. Ah, people still need the Holy Ghost. People still need the power of God. People still. Yes, they do. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care how smart you are. People still need the Holy Ghost. Amen. So the writer said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed. As into a light that shines in a dark place. Amen. There's, there's a more sure word of prophecy that we have tonight. And Jesus' name matters. You, you dig down. You dig down deep enough. You'll find out that there are themes tied to the name of Jesus. One of those things is remission of sins. Oh, before you throw away the name of Jesus, you might want to find out what you're giving up. Because there is no remission of sins without the name of Jesus. Now you might know uh, Acts 2.38, and I hope you do, I pray you do. And, and I, but I, I want to go to Acts 10.43 where it said all the prophets give witness that through his name remission of sins would be given. I want to go to Luke 24, 47, that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in his name, beginning at Jerusalem. Hallelujah. The theme of remission of sins and the blood of the Lamb is tied up to the name of Jesus. Amen. And I'll contend for the name of Jesus based on that. Amen. I, I, I think that, that we can't lose sight of the fact that there's power in the blood of Jesus. I like it when a church knows how to praise and lift up the name of Jesus. My great-grandfather looked at my grandfather and said, You're a good preacher, son, but don't ever stop preaching the name of Jesus. And they passed it down to my dad. They passed it down to me. And we know that you've got to preach the name of Jesus. Because the power is in the name. The blood is in the name. The death, the burial, and the resurrection... That whole theme, all of it is tied up in the name of Jesus. And there's themes that the schoolmaster will bring, will bring out. One of, one of those themes is when you get into the blood, you're going to get into redemption. You're gonna, I, I, when, when, when you get baptized in Jesus' name, you're not just getting baptized in any name. You are not just saying words. You're not just spouting any name. The name of John the Baptist couldn't have done it. The name of Ezekiel couldn't have done it. The name of Jeremiah, Zechariah, Malachi couldn't have done it. But when you say the name of Jesus, you're talking about the one who died, was buried, and rose again. And you, you are buried with him. 
not buried with them, you're buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead, even so we should rise to walk in newness of life. Uh, I know that he's the father. I know that he's the son. I know that he's the Holy Ghost. And that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. Message. I'm talking about a one God message. I'm talking. See, I don't believe anybody. You can be seated. I don't think anybody can praise God like apostolic people. Because you can't praise Him properly until you understand the power of redemption. There is power in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And, and when you understand redemption, you praise God different than other people praise God. I know folks that, that are talented. I know people that are harmonic. I know folks who sing like angels, but they live like devils. And they can hit every note, and they can do it just right, and they can do it better than me, but they don't understand redemption. For them, it's an exercise. For them, it's a scale. For them, it's an act to be done and then it's over. But that's not how it is for a Jesus' name child of God. A Jesus' name person, when they sing, there's a theme of I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. The old timers sing the song, God gave me a song that the angels cannot sing. I've been washed in the blood. So I, I don't know if you're like this, but I'm like this. I've had this happen to me. I've, I've gotten into conversations with people where we, I talked to them about Jesus' name and they, I took them to Acts 2.38 and they took me to John 3.16. And I took them to Acts 10.44-48 and they took me to Romans 10 told me to walk the Roman road. And I told them that John 3, 5 says you must be born of water, born of spirit. And they took me to Acts 16 where, where they, the Philippian jailer asked, what should I do to be saved? And they said, believe with all your heart, you'll be saved. And we went round and round the mulberry bush. I tried to get a hold of them. They won't let me. I can't get a grip on them. They're slippery. And, and, and you know, you can get at an impasse there and you can say, what, what do I believe? And are they right? And am I right? And who's right? And what do we believe in? Why won't this person listen to me? And some people just wind up walking away frustrated. But I believe that the schoolmaster has an answer for that. Because we're not following cunningly devised fables. Whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But this is a more sure word of prophecy. Hallelujah. I, I don't just believe Jesus' name baptism because somebody told me or because I... I read it in one verse, but the theme of redemption is a strong theme in the word of God. Amen. I'll tell you this. One of the reasons why I believe you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus and filled with the Holy Ghost is that, is that the schoolmaster teaches it before the New Testament ever gets here. 
if you'll take a little time to examine the geography of salvation, I will tell you there's only one way to get out of Egypt. You can't get out of Egypt unless you go the way the schoolmaster says you've got to go. If you want to get out of Egypt, the first thing that's got to happen is a lamb's got to die. Hallelujah. When that lamb dies, you paint that lamb over the doorpost of your house. One of the reasons why I preach repentance is not just because Acts 2.38 says repent, though it does. But the other reason that I do is because to get out of Egypt, you got to turn your back on Egypt and you got to walk away from it. I'm telling you, if you want to get out of Egypt, you got to repent. you got to repent. you got to walk away. You can't go back. you got to walk away from the world. you got to walk away from sin. you got to walk away from this life. you got to walk away from the devil. you got to walk away from bad habits. you got to walk away, walk away. I repent because the schoolmaster laid out a blueprint for me. <laughs> Hallelujah! I, I I was talking, uh, teaching. I was teaching a young man Bible study. He quit coming to church, and and after about three months, and I said, "Why'd you quit coming to church?" And he said, "Because you won't stop preaching on Jesus' name baptism." And he said, "When are you ever going to stop preaching on Jesus' name baptism?" I said, "When you get baptized in Jesus' name, we'll move on to something else." Amen. Because the first place that you're going to go to after you walk away from Egypt is you're going to go to the water. There's no other place to go. The Holy Ghost is going to take you straight to the water and you're going to stand there at that water because that's the only way out of this place. And somebody said, well, well, you know, you're saved when you believe. But that's not what the geography says. You're not saved when the lamb sheds his blood because you're still there in Egypt. You're not saved when you walk away from Egypt because Pharaoh's coming after you. As a matter of fact, I believe that it's at baptism in Jesus' name, it's at the Red Sea, that Pharaoh fights the hardest. Yes, sir. I believe that when you get close to the water, I believe Pharaoh's army starts getting together. I believe the captains start girding up. I believe the chariots start to get ready because he knows if you ever get through that water, then you're out of his jurisdiction. I believe when you go to get baptized in Jesus' name, every backslider, every armchair quarterback, every false doctrine preacher comes after you to talk you out of the name of Jesus. But honey, don't let anybody stop you. When you get to the water, go through the water. Go through the water. Go through the water. Because that's the only way to get out of this place. It's for the remission of your sins. This is why Paul told the Corinthian church, I don't want you to be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud. You know, he said all of them. It's not a gift for a few. It's not a couple people with a couple administrative gifts of the spirit. But all of our fathers were under the cloud. 
And all passed through the sea and were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. If you lay that verse right over John chapter 3 verse 5, you'll note that the schoolmaster is saying, if you want to get out of Egypt, you've got to go through the water. You've got to go into the cloud. You must be born of the water and of the Spirit to enter into the kingdom of God. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. This thing is put together. And you'll never get to Jesus if you don't go through the schoolmaster. I'm telling you, there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. I don't think the world knows about the power that's in the blood. But when somebody starts singing about the blood of Jesus, listen, here's how redemption works. Redemption works. The, the, The fuel for our praise is when Moses looked and saw dead Egyptians washing up on the shore. And he saw chariot wheels floating. And he saw shields floating. And he saw all of that and it dawned on him. I'm never going back. I'm never going back. I'm I'm never going back. I'm never going back. The horse and his rider has he cast into the sea. The Lord has triumphed. Glory. Pick up your tambourine, Miriam. It's time to praise. It's time to praise. It's time. That's what the writer said. Let the redeemer of the Lord say so. You can't praise it unless you've been brought out. Ah, nobody praises like apostolics praise. Uh, Nobody worships like apostolics worship. Nobody knows how to glorify like the one God people know. But you don't know that unless the schoolmaster lays it out. have minimized Jesus and made him the second person in the Trinity. They've minimized him to make him a figurehead. Hallelujah. But I'm in love with Jesus tonight. Uh, I'm in love with Jesus tonight. He's the Lamb of God. Abel, Abel, God told him to offer a sacrifice, and and they knew that they were supposed to have a lamb. And Cain knew it too. Because the Bible said that God told him, if thou doest well, Cain knew. He rejected it. But that lamb, that lamb took away Abel's sin. And the schoolmaster was teaching that there's going to be a lamb. And there was a lamb that took away the sin of a man. You keep digging into the scripture. Oh, hallelujah. And you'll find out that when they got off of that ark, that they offered up a sacrifice. And there was a lamb that took away the sin of a family. Dig a little deeper. Go into Egypt. And you read it closely. And the Bible says if 
If your house is too small, you can use the lamb for two households. And so a lamb could take away the sin and pay the price of death for two households. And then you get into the Solomon era and you'll see a high priest offering up a lamb for the sins of a nation. But I'm trying to tell you that we've minimized Jesus because he is the supreme sacrifice. And he's the one we look to because on that day at Jordan, when John looked up, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And it doesn't take away the sin of a man or a house or two houses or a nation, but it takes away the sin of the world. This is the pinnacle. This is what I've been taking you to. It's the schoolmaster to bring you to Christ. I'm trying to reveal my purpose. Hallelujah. And I'm going to fall in love with him tonight. I'm going to fall in love with his, his blueprint. conclusion that there are some people that if they're not careful they'll allow the devil to intimidate them and and I, I don't ever want anybody to be ashamed of how we worship I read an article not too long ago that said that back in the old days Jewish people would literally try to reverse the physical identification that they were God's children because they were ashamed of who they were I don't ever want to be ashamed of the fact that I'm Jesus' name. God's foreknowledge and his wisdom is so powerful that he said that if you get it line upon line and precept upon precept and here a little and there a little and you'll take the simple and allow it to grow more complex, then what's going to happen is not that you're going to accept Christ as your personal Savior. Not that you're going to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. But with stammering lips and another tongue, God is going to speak. When, when you get it right, when it's laid properly, when all the corners are tight, when this thing's fastened down, then with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people. And this is the rest wherewith him that caused the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. And here's how powerful God is. God even prophesied through Isaiah that people would reject it. Yet they would not hear. Don't you be discouraged by the fact that people will reject the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. You keep on preaching it anyway. You keep on believing it anyway. You come on in this house and you praise God the way we're supposed to praise God. He'll pour out the Holy Ghost on you. Hey, that's how they got the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts. They were tongue talkers. They spoke with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. I'm not going to sit here and explain to you why I speak in tongues. They need to explain to me why they don't speak in tongues. Because this is the original. This is the first fruits. This is the... Oh, this is the day of Pentecost. This is the book of Acts. This is where the church was birthed in a fiery explosion of prophetic anointing. Hallelujah. And I'm not ashamed because it's what Joel prophesied about. 
master taught us. Ah, I, I, I actually believe that the fact that they offered so many sacrifices was the schoolmaster's doing. I can remember being in math, and I can remember that teacher making me do long division. And that number was so long, and I filled up half a page. And I did one problem, and I was so proud of myself. And then the teacher looked at me and said, all right, I'll do 50 more. My hand cramped up. Had five pages of chicken scratch. And I learned long division. And I did it again and again and again and again. I did it for homework. I did it while I waited for the bus to show up. I did it the last two minutes before they picked up the assignment. I was doing long division in my sleep. And I'm 37 years old. And by God, I can do long division. Because a schoolmaster sat me down and drilled it into my head. I believe that the sacrifice and then the sacrifice and then the sacrifice and then the sacrifice. On, on, on the day when Solomon dedicated the temple, how many tens of thousands of animals were sacrificed? The schoolmaster gave a lot of homework that day. God wasn't trying to be tedious. He was trying to tell you that the lamb's going to come. And the lamb's going to die. And his blood's going to pay for your sins. And when that lamb shows up, the light bulb's supposed to pop on. This is the Lamb of God. This is the one that I prepared you for. This is the one that foreshadowed all of these times. You did it over and over and over. So that when the real being showed up, the schoolmaster had brought you to Jesus Christ. You see, when you don't get it, when you don't get it line upon line, precept upon precept, you come up with weird doctrines. You come up with weird teachings. I mean, when, 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 you, when, when, you, when you don't get it and you just look at it from the American westernized perspective, you're going to get a false doctrine. There's people that think that believing in God is just mental assent. But that's not what your Bible says. The Bible says that he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, not just any old generic belief, but belief as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Don't tell me you've believed unless you've received the Holy Ghost. They tell me that Martin Luther wanted to carve the book of James out of the New Testament canon because James had tucked away in that book a little passage of scripture that says that Abraham offered up Isaac on the altar and by works he was justified. Oh, he didn't want that getting out. Because there is some work we got to do. You know, the Bible actually has the phrase work of faith. Let me ask you, where does work start? Because they say we're not saved by works. And they want to quote Romans chapter 4. But Romans chapter 4 didn't say all action was eliminated. It said works of the law 
We're not justified by works of the law. That's circumcision, that's Sabbath days, that's holy days. And we're not, we're not justified by that. But there is a book of Acts. There is an obedience to the word of God. And when I get baptized in Jesus' name, i got to walk into that water in faith believing. And he washes my sins away when I obey his law. Now, he does the work. And so James said that faith wrought with his works. And by works was faith made perfect. And then he talked about Rahab and he said the same thing. I'm telling you, there is a holy work that is done. And when you go through the book of Acts, it makes perfect sense. When the schoolmaster takes you there. I, there's, there's verses that people get intimidated on. They, they, it's almost like they've just given them over to false doctrine. Oh, don't touch Matthew 28, 19 because that just doesn't say it. Yes, it does. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go you therefore. I like the therefore. Because the therefore in 19 references verse 18. All power is given unto me. Because I have all power, go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And we know tonight that that name is Jesus Christ. That's not a Trinitarian verse. That's not a false doctrine verse. That's an apostolic verse. That's, that's my verse. That's the schoolmaster lays it together. And I'm not afraid of it. And I'm not trying to minimize it. Bring it on. Bring it on. The schoolmaster knows how to lay it down properly. Hallelujah. Don't you be afraid of the fact that you speak with other tongues. Amen. Paul said, I speak in tongues more than you all. I got news for you. Peter spoke in tongues. Paul spoke in tongues. James spoke in tongues. John spoke in tongues. Mary, the mother of Jesus, spoke in tongues. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them Utterance. It's the Isaiah 28 experience. And when I get it right, that's supposed to happen. And so, the devil will bring you to Romans 10. Where he said that if you'll confess with your mouth, and you'll believe in your heart, you will be saved. For with the mouth, confession is made. And the salvation with the heart, man believes. The righteousness. And we just give that over to false doctrine and say, well, we just don't know what to do with that. Yes, we do. The schoolmaster knows exactly how it fits. Amen. That's not a false doctrine verse. That's an apostolic verse. If you're Joe Sinner... And you come looking at Romans chapter 10, you're going to get a false doctrine. You're going to try to confess with your natural tongue and pray some sinner's prayer. And you're going to try to find salvation through that. The problem is there is no place in that Bible where it ever happened. Not one person ever confessed the Lord like that and believed in their heart like that. 
It depends on how you look at Romans 10. Before you ever reach Romans 10, you might want to look at Romans 8. Where the Bible says that his spirit would bear witness with my spirit. And I would cry, Abba, Father. His spirit would bear witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. You might want to take a look at Galatians 4 where it said that God would send forth the spirit of his son into your heart. Crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. And if a son then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. Amen. It really depends on how you look at it. Because you've got to get it like the schoolmaster teaches it. Hallelujah. Because if you look through the book of Acts, you'll find out that we do confess with our mouth. And we do believe in our hearts. Hallelujah. You don't look at Romans from a sinner's perspective. You look at the book of Romans with the lenses of the book of Acts on. You go through the book of Acts and the first thing you're going to find out that the promise of the Father was poured out and they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. What meaneth this? These men are full of no new wine. They're not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. I, it will come to pass in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And there's folks that are quoting Joel too. And, and, and they'll quote it, and they quote it in Sunday school, and, and, and we should, and that's great. But did you know there's another prophet quoted in Acts chapter 2 where the Bible says that David said concerning the Holy Ghost, and Peter preached this in the context of speaking with other tongues, that David in the book of Psalms 16, he said that my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Before you give Romans 10 to false doctrine, you need to take a moment with the schoolmaster and find out that there's a tongue-heart connection. That when God fills your heart, you're going to speak out. And the heart man's going to believe. And with the mouth, confession's going to be made. You better believe it. But it doesn't mean a verbal confession. It means you spoke with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. And honey, that's the rest. Wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And that's the refreshing. Somebody's got to go by the schoolmaster. Somebody's got to go by the book of Acts. Somebody's got to go through this apostolic experience. And then get down on the children. And then get down on the families. And then get down on the spirit. And then get down on the soil of their hearts. Because that's the only thing that's going to change this world. Stand with me tonight. Hallelujah. All over this building right now, I want you to stand and lift your hands with me in this house. Hallelujah. I'm talking, I'm talking about a scriptural precedent. I'm talking about the book of Acts. I'm talking about apostolic scriptures. And I'm talking about the beauty of the word of God. I want some young men and some young ladies to lift your hands right now. And say, I'm going to get this in my heart tonight. Hallelujah. I want some young couples and I want some people that are, that are here. I want you to get a hold of this thing like you've never got a hold of it in your life. And say, it's going to become more than head knowledge to me. There's a wicked world that's trying to take my faith 
that's trying to talk me out of the Holy Ghost. That's trying to get me to go charismatic. It's trying to get me to go emergent. It's trying to get me to play around with the word of God. But his word is in my heart. Like a fire shut up in my bones. Hallelujah. Lift your hands. Open up your heart. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house right now. Hallelujah. The schoolmaster will show you his purpose. I want somebody to come down here. I want you to step out of your seat and join me down here at the front. I want you to praise him with me tonight. We're going to praise him the way apostolics praise him. I'm not going to let false doctrine intimidate me. I'm not going to let modern society intimidate me. I want to lift up hands because that's what they do in the Bible. I'm going to speak with tongues because that's what they do in the Bible. I'm going to clap my hands because the Bible says to clap your hands, all you people, and shout them to God with the voice of triumph. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Help me praise him and help me lift him up right now. In the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Lift up the name of Jesus. Somebody fall in love with the blood of Jesus and the revelation that he's my redeemer. My Savior. He's a healer. In the year 2013, He's a healer. Somebody fall in love with me, fall in love with me, fall in love with me. 